You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and your resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore that app. Well, I want to start off today with a thought that I had. Um, so last night I was doing a show, uh, shout out to NFL Outdated. I was with uh, just kind of an NFC North panel, but it was almost all Packer fans. So um, that made it a lot easier, mostly just hanging out. But at a random point, somebody had mentioned how we had gone on to beat the undefeated, at the time, Arizona Cardinals, and that was with a completely beat-up roster. And they're using that as a parallel to the Eagles. I know the Eagles are no longer undefeated, but the point is nobody's giving us a chance this week. Nobody uh, gave us a chance at that point. I want to look at it from a, a slightly different standpoint, though, because not only did we beat them it's not like we beat them and then they went on to continue to be undefeated and we were like the you know like the Packers that 2011 season we lost to like the Chiefs who were kind of a trash team pretty sure it was the Chiefs just feels weird calling them a trash team I forgot how bad they used to be forever um but they actually went on to kind of suck for a pretty long time after the Arizona Cardinals lost to the Green so they were seven and oh they ended the season 11 and six that's a losing record. They went on to have a losing record and then limped into the playoffs as a garbage team with a losing record and lost to the Rams 34-11. to This year, they have a losing record. They are 4-7. and I had made comments about the idea that when undefeated teams get their first loss and realize that they're human, things start to unravel pretty quickly. If you look at I just pulled up a couple other teams that, are, that were 8-0, which is what the Philadelphia Eagles were before their loss, right? They made it to 8-0. Here are the records of teams that at one point were 8-0. The last three, 12-4, 13-3, 12-4. and 4. If you're 8-0 and 12-4, what was your record after your first loss? Or, or what was your record after 8-0? 4-4. Even the 49ers in 2019 went 5-3. and three. Point is, a lot of these teams go on to be more or less average. 4-4 four and 5-3 four and and are not impressive records. Prior to those three was the Carolina Panthers, and that's exactly a, an example that I used. Um, previously, in terms of a team that lost, remember, they, they, they did lose to the Falcons. That was their one loss during the season. Then they went to the Super Bowl and lost, and then the next year... 2016, they went 6-10. and 10. You know, the, the whole thing with the Packers, and, and I had mentioned, mentioned this before, and, and J.J. has mentioned this also, if you go back to that Robert Tunyon clip, you'll see the sort of imposter syndrome that goes on with Green Bay, and, it, and it's frustrating because it's like, dude, you're 13-3. and three. Why would you think we don't really belong here? Maybe we're not that good. That seems to be a real serious problem with a lot of teams. Because there is, and, 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 and again, it goes back to how important the locker room is and leadership and um, just having this, essentially it's, it's, it's like believing a lie. I've used the example before of, of weightlifting. Get into the gym, 
you take your pre-workout and you're all amped up, you listen to music that just makes you want to run through a wall, and it undeniably will make you stronger than if you just walk into the gym cold, right? I mean, you just wake up in the morning, drive to the gym, walk straight to the bench, and just see what you can do. It's not going to be the same. There's this, this ritual, at least that I go through, and I'm guessing a lot of other people do, where you sort of become something that you're not. You become this monster that can lift anything. And as you go through the season and you, you know, I mean, somebody's bound to be 3-0, and 4-0, you start to get that feeling. We really are the best. We can't be stopped. And somewhere along the way, you stumble. And how you react to that makes a huge difference. And, it, and what I'm telling you is that most teams, when they go on these, these undefeated records, their identity is that they're undefeated and unstoppable. Well, if your identity is shattered, what are you now? What, what, are you, what are you basing everything you do on? There are two other teams that went 8-0 in 2015, aside from the Carolina Panthers, who obviously went a lot more than that. But the Cincinnati Bengals and the New England Patriots, they both ended 12-4, which again means you went 4-4 after going 8-0. The team before that, the 2012 Falcons, they ended 13-3. Now, 5-3 is not a terrible record. But for a team that went undefeated through eight games, five and three is barely above 500. It's not that great. And before that was the 2011 Green Bay Packers. And again, they actually went uh, 13 and 0. And then they lost to the Kansas City Chiefs. Again, not a good team. They go on to beat the Bears 35 21 and the Detroit Lions 45 41. That 2011 Packers team was stupid. But what happened? They go and face the Giants and they get beat. Then 2012 rolls around, and they go from being a winning team to a team that started the season two and three. Now they rebounded and 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 you know with the talent that they had went to 11 and five, but got off to this really slow start. This Goliath team that couldn't be stopped stumbled right out of the gate. So I mean the the larger point is nobody can sustain that level of success. But the question is how are you going to rebound when you come to find out that you're not godlike? And what I'm telling you is we've seen a notable shift in the Philadelphia Eagles. I'm not saying I think they're going to fall off. I I don't think necessarily that they're frauds, although there are questions. Uh, like I had said yesterday, the when when I had asked the question of the offenses and how they're evolving and whatever, and Coach Hahn had talked about the offenses he believes are going to win against these defenses, the closest offense I could think of was the Eagles. So the point is, I see why they're successful, and I think that continues. But how you feel as a football player, as a football team, your locker room, your mentality, your, your, your drive, your belief in yourself, all of that matters a lot. And so they lose to Washington in the very next game. They beat the Colts by one. And so I don't necessarily know how they're going to rebound, but if you had to guess their record for the rest of the season, um, you know, af- after their eight wins to start the season, something like five and four wouldn't really be that historically shocking. They're one and one so far, right? The, the, the track record has historically been about 500, maybe one win above. So far, they're 500 after their eight win streak. So I guess all that to say, this is, this is the beginning, uh, sort of, of the coverage of the Philadelphia Eagles. We can't look at the Eagles as the 8-0 Eagles. That's speaking of what they have been. That's not really speaking of what they will be or what they are. And that's true of a lot of teams. It's true of the Packers and, you know, you know everybody. You, you don't know exactly where teams are. For example, just give you a quick example here. If you were to look at any stat over the course of the season, whether it be a team stat or player stat, and then look over the course of the last three weeks, it's going to be a very different list. Some things will be the same, but a very different list. So if we just take um, point differential again, just because, again, it's just kind of like a powerhouse ranking of a team. For the season, you would look at it and say, okay, Buffalo, Dallas, Philly, Kansas City, and, and the 49ers. Those are, these are the powerhouse teams, and clearly Buffalo is number one by a mile. In fact, San Francisco and Kansas City are sort of third tier, then Philly and Dallas, and then it's another giant jump up to Buffalo. So Buffalo is in its own tier, then Dallas and Philly, then it's Kansas City, San Francisco, and then it's another drop down to Cincinnati, Baltimore, or New England. And then it's a massive drop down to Seattle, the Jets, Miami, Jacksonville, whatever. But if you look over since, let's say, what did I say here, week eight? Since week eight, 
Philadelphia is not in the top five. Kansas City is not in the top five. Buffalo is not in the top five. By the way, some of these teams have played more games than others. The top five teams are Dallas, San Francisco, New England, Baltimore, and Miami. Philadelphia, having played one more game, is sixth. Kansas City is 10th. Buffalo is 12th. It's a different NFL. The first three weeks, the last three weeks, the second three weeks, the third three weeks. And so where we are now is a, is a completely different question. And, and we know that because we can see that with the Packers. It's not entirely true, but I would look at it and say the defense has gotten worse and the offense has gotten better. We started off the season with what we thought to be a... I mean, it, it was never good. It was never what we wanted it to be, but at least the, the defense was kind of the strength and the offense was constantly letting the defense down. I go into this Eagles game personally saying, I think, you know, my, my son came down the other day. He said he had a dream about the Packers, which made me proud. But in his dream, I can't remember if we lost or won. I wrote it down somewhere, but uh, it was 31-30. I think he said we lost, but maybe we won. I don't know. 31-30. And I thought about it. And I said, you know, that kind of makes sense. Even with the end of, he's, he's kind of, when he gives his score predictions, it's like, that seems really thought out. I'm surprised. I don't think it is. I think it's just, he's, I don't know, intuition. Anyways, just by, I mean, if you look at it and say, no, teams don't really score 30 very much. Packers offense has been trashed. The Eagles the last couple weeks have struggled offensively. The defense is sort of the strength of the team. But again, if you think about it, the Packers really, really struggle. Plus, you got Jalen Hurts as sort of a mobile quarterback, which kind of adds a dimension that scares a lot of Packer fans. You know, for a team that struggles against the run, and then you add in an additional runner on a play, that's certainly never a good thing. But even from the Packers standpoint, I'm going into this game thinking, I believe in our offense more than our defense. Now, we'll see about the whole Indomitian Sioux and Linval Joseph additions and whatnot to that defensive line. Again, I know the narrative is that immediately upgraded their defensive line and they're so much better now. But remember, they went up against the Colts, who are one of the worst rushing teams in football. So I don't know that we can definitively say that that changed everything, but maybe, maybe it did. But if you told me one side of the ball is going to excel, I'm going to say it's the offense because I, I know that the Eagles have struggled all year. It's why they went out and got Indomitian Sioux and Linval Joseph because they're Run defense has not been good. That's the weak point of their team, largely. I mean, if you had to pick one thing, they struggle against the run. That's what the Packers thrive on. But the point is, I'm going into it saying, man, I'm excited about this offense, but man, the de- I just don't want to watch our defense. I don't. And that's not to say I don't believe in them long term. If you had listened to um, Sam Holman released his uh, Wisconsin Sports Heroics podcast, I think yesterday, he was kind of talking about it. I thought he made a lot of sense in terms of what a lot of the issues are specifically right now. And, and his main takeaway was you get what you practice. And this is a team that strongly believed in their front and said, we're going to play cover. Well, now we can't because we lost Rashawn and we have to change everything. And they're doing things that they haven't had to do before. And because they're a little lighter on the back end, there has to be more communication and different communication. And they're not used to that. And they're failing tremendously. On top of that, you got a lot of guys blitzing that are not good at it. I've mentioned Quay Walker many times. I've never seen a linebacker as bad as him blitzing. I, I don't necessarily mean that to be rude. It's just bad. And I feel like the Packers have always been that way. We blitz linebackers and they don't do anything. Like they run into the line and it's like, what was that? I don't know. I just ran and there was a guy there. Okay. (laughs) I've told you guys before, you look at, you have to adjust the scale when you look at linebacker pressures because they're routinely up in like the 20% pressure rate, which clearly is higher than defensive tackles and edge rushers. Our guys are like sub 10% always. You got to adjust down for Packers linebackers. But, but again, you get what you practice. It's the same concept we had in Green Bay with the running game. Why can't we run the ball? Why can't we run the ball? We come to find out from, I forget exactly who it was, a former Packers running back. Uh, no, I'm not going to. Uh, that wasn't him. Anyways, they didn't practice it. He said in, in practice, you, you really rarely ever practice running. You practice throwing. That's what you practice. That's what Mike McCarthy emphasized. And it made sense. Because that's, you know, what we excel at. We have Aaron Rodgers, but it's also what you need to succeed in the, in the NFL. And, and even the, the stat guys will tell you, you don't need to run well, you just need to run. Run to set up the pass. That's it. And it doesn't matter if you get three yards or 15 yards. I mean, clearly it does on that play. But as far as setting up the pass, doesn't matter, according to numbers people. So I think Mike McCarthy took that to heart and said, we're going to run as best as we can. And usually that meant about three yards. And then we're going to throw all over the place. And they succeeded in that until they didn't. But again, you get what you practice. And, and now the defense is having to do, do new things. So on top of the struggles they've already had, and now they have injuries, now they're trying to play a different style of defense. And, and, and 
compensate for things. There's a lot more blitzing, which they haven't practiced. And and again, the, the coverage responsibilities on the back end when you're doing that. And blitzing is just a dangerous business to begin with. There was a there was a that huge screen pass to Derrick Henry. We just blitzed at the exact wrong time. I mean, usually the linebacker is is going to be responsible for covering the running back out of the backfield. Well, we blitzed Quay Walker on a running back screen. And as as I had asked Sam about it, and his very basic answer was, yeah, blitzing into a screen is never a good thing. I mean, that that's if you think about how a screen works, they want you to to bring pressure so that we can get behind you and get all our blockers. If you're going to bring extra pressure, perfect. Get more defenders out of that area. And so they throw a screen over to Preston, who's the only guy to that side, and we're playing man coverage across the board, so everybody's back is turned. Yeah, that was destined to be 30, 40 yards. That was never going to be anything but. But we're doing more of that to compensate because we don't have the talent up front to win. And if you don't get pressure and you allow guys to sit in the in the pocket, as we saw with Dom Capers for many, many years, guys sitting in the pocket for weeks, you're always going to find somebody. And so, I mean, this this is really reminding me of a Petten Capers defense in which, especially uh, Capers, where you stop them on first down, you stop them on second down, you give up 15, 20, 30 yards on third down. That's where we're at right now. Anyways, we're going down some rabbit holes here, but things change. And um, I don't know necessarily that it's going to change for the better or for the worse. But again, I just want to keep that in mind as we move forward and talk about the Eagles, calling them the formerly 8-0 Eagles, or we could just address them based on their current record, which is the 9-1 Eagles. It might tell you something, but it also might just be lying. And so I want to get acclimated with the Eagles over, let's just say, the last four weeks. I think that's a fair assessment. Um, First of all, it was right after their bye. Um, Second of all, four weeks is about a quarter of the season, so it's not too small of a sample size. And also, it's not just bad stuff. I mean, they stomped out Pittsburgh 35-13. to So I think it's a somewhat fair representation of the team, probably more so than if you look at over the entire season. So again, point differential, they're sixth. The point differential is 24, so we're talking about six-point victory on average. Their offense also ranks sixth, scoring 25.5 points per game. Their defense ranks 17th allowing 78 points over four weeks, which is a little under 20. It's 19.5 points per game. So 25-20, that's kind of where they're at right now. 19 to 25, 25, 20, whatever. Point differential is six, so we'll say 19 to 25. Looking a little bit at their passing statistics, uh, they actually rank eighth in yards. Surprisingly, the Packers are ahead of them in that category. They rank sixth over the same span. However, touchdowns, they are tied for number one. With nine touchdowns, the Packers actually have eight. Again, you come into this game assuming this is going to be a defensive battle, but if you look at it, especially passing, these are Packers and Philadelphia are two of the best passing attacks over the last four weeks. Now, that might be skewed because of one or two games, but it is what it is. In terms of running the ball, which is largely seen as the Philadelphia Eagles' identity, the Eagles actually rank 10th in attempts. The Packers are 7th. Looking at yardage, the Packers are 5th, and Philadelphia is 11th. Yards per attempt, that puts Green Bay 8th and Philadelphia 13th. Rushing touchdowns, Philadelphia is 8th. If you just look at overall scoring, how many touchdowns, rushing or passing, or defensive that that has been scored, Philadelphia is 3rd, Packers are 16th. As far as defense, Philadelphia's uh, pass defense ranks 13th in terms of yards, but in terms of passer rating, they rank 4th, probably because of all the interceptions that they get. If you look at run defense, again, Philadelphia, not super great. They rank 26. That is below Green Bay. Green Bay's run defense is 19th. So believe it or not, over the last four weeks, the Packers have had a better run defense than Philadelphia. Again, the big question mark is Joseph and Sue, but I'm not automatically going to assume that that's fixed. So, you know, the point of the exercise isn't to tell you that the Packers are better than the Eagles because I don't think they are. It's just to tell you that I don't necessarily think, recently speaking, you can make a strong case over the last four weeks that the Eagles are the best team or even necessarily one of the top teams. They tend to hover around mediocre. Some areas they're very good, some areas they're very bad. All right, with that said, let's take a very cursory look at the Philadelphia Eagles roster, take a break, come back and look at some Packers news notes and information. So, first of all, we got to start with uh, Mr. Jalen Hurts himself. 
Now, to be clear, and I, I understand that nobody wants me to go here, but there's been a lot of comparisons or, or at least the conversation about guys that are seen just as like mobile quarterbacks that are doing a great job. Between Jalen and Kyler Murray and all these different quarterbacks, they're not good quarterbacks until they learn to throw the ball. Same thing happened with Kyler. Last year, when they were going on that run, he was one of the best throwing quarterbacks in all of football. Jalen Hurts right now has an 84.7 passing grade. So the ability to run is a massive benefit to an offense. But if you can't throw, it doesn't do any good. So I just want to be clear, Jalen is not a rushing quarterback that happens to throw the ball. He is the third highest grading passer in all of football right now. As a rusher, let me uh, get rid of a couple of these. Uh, Jalen Hurts is 11th. He's behind, and I'm not talking yardage, I'm just talking about his grade. Daniel Jones, Kenny Pickett, P.J. Walker, Dak, Geno, Pat Mahomes, Jacoby Brissett, Fields, Lamar, and number one is Josh Allen. So I think it's a massive benefit, and I do think the NFL really wants to move in that direction. But again, you got to be able to throw the ball, and Jalen is doing that. In terms of the question of, you know, is he dropping off or anything like that? Not really. Um, He did have two really big games, week two against Minnesota, week eight against Pittsburgh. Otherwise, he's right at about 70. We're talking overall. 76, 63, and then after that, 71, 71, 74, 71, 71, and then this past week was a 78. So he's steady Eddie, and I, and I think that's kind of perfect for what the Eagles are doing. I honestly think that a lot of Packer fans think that this is kind of the direction the Packers should go because he's not, you know, getting like 90s overall, this, that, or the other. But what he is is consistently good which is how he ends up with an 84 overall grade, right? His passing grades, he had two, I guess you'd call it three games with really solid grades. Otherwise, he's just steady. He had one sub-60 game, and it was a 58. So you allow him to execute behind a great offensive line with a powerhouse run game with really good wide receivers, a, a really good tight end, and a stout defense. He's a piece of the puzzle. He's not the whole puzzle. Still have to be a good piece, but he's just a piece. And and the question of would Jalen Hurts completely fall apart if he went to a team that wasn't quite as stacked? Probably, but who cares? Because he is on a team that's stacked. That's the whole point of this. It works only if we have these things in order. Now, maybe he won't. Maybe he's still good. I don't know. It doesn't matter. We won't need to find out because they are pretty stacked. For the season right now, Jalen Hurts, 2,400 yards, ranks 12th uh, in terms of touchdowns. Jalen Hurts is tied for ninth with 15 touchdowns, he's with uh, Carr, Goff, and Garoppolo, which, you know, whatever. Big-time throw percentage, Jalen Hurts is down at 23rd. Why? Well, what did we just say? He doesn't have to make big-time throws. They're not asking him to make big-time throws. He's throwing to open guys, sticking within structure. You know what else he's not doing? Throwing dangerous footballs. He is the second-best in turnover-worthy play percentage. So, I mean, again, he is the perfect quarterback for what they're doing. He is the most boring, vanilla quarterback ever in terms of his passing abilities. He's not doing anything crazy. There's no highlight reel throws. Very few. I'm sure somebody's, oh, look at that. I found one. Everybody's favorite thing to do. Oh, really? Look at this one throw that everybody has made at some point in their career. He's not making big time throws. He's not, statistically, period. But he is unbelievably careful with the football. Second in the NFL behind just Justin Herbert. He's precise. And, and the scary thing about that is, if you talk about shutting down the Eagles, you always want to shut down the quarterback, but the quarterback is just a piece, like I said. So it's not a matter of if you can disrupt him, you disrupt everything. No, he's not doing anything crazy. This isn't a team being dragged by one dude. In my opinion, Jalen Hurts is the perfect quarterback of the future. By the way, Hertz is not Justin Fields or Lamar or any of those things in terms of his throwing or his rushing ability. He's closer to Jordan Love. He's kind of like a old school mobile quarterback where he's he's got some ability like Rodgers, but you know, not like Michael Vick. But there's just enough there to threaten. But if you have a good enough GM that can build out a roster, Jalen Hurts is the guy you want. You build the trenches up, get a good coach. Find a couple weapons. Done. 
as long as you got a good offensive line, you get a good, I mean, running backs are a dime a dozen that can operate behind a good offensive line. All right, Miles Sanders is not the most elite running back in the world. He just is a good running back that runs behind a good offensive line. So build up your offensive line, get your Jalen Hurts, get a competent running back, and then what do they do? They drafted a wide receiver, and the next year they go out and paid for a wide receiver. And, and by the way, they drafted a tight end that's actually really panning out. So they've got weapons galore. They got, they got everything you could possibly need. Kind of going off on a tangent. I'm just saying, if we're talking about the future, this is ideal. You don't need 4-3-2 speed at quarterback. I mean, take it if you can get it. But if you're asking me what I want, this is what I want. Intelligent, efficient, protects the football. Moving on to the rest of the team, they've got three main receivers. A.J. Brown is the acquisition. As I've said many times, one of the more underrated wide receivers he always was. Arguably better than Debo Samuel. The Eagles pick him up. He's got 785 yards and six touchdowns already, one of the highest-graded wide receivers in all of football. Devontae Smith is the younger, speedier wide receiver on the outside, whereas A.J. Brown is the more big, bulky kind of guy. And then they have tight end Dallas Goddard, another underrated piece of this offense. He has 544 yards, three touchdowns. Devontae Smith, 568 and three touchdowns. That's the receiving offense in a nutshell. The only slightly interesting thing, if we we're going to look at these three guys and say, well, has anything changed recently? A.J. Brown has had a rough stretch. He had a 92.6 overall grade against Pittsburgh. Aside from that, his first four games, 88, 76, 75, 82. We're talking great here. After that, again, excluding the one Pittsburgh game, 59, 66, 67, 57, 68. I don't know if he's dealing with some stuff, injury or whatever, but A.J. Brown started hot. He did have one really good game, 156 yards and three touchdowns, but he has not really been as impactful since week five for whatever reason. In terms of rushing, obviously you've got a dual threat. You got Miles Sanders, and then you got quarterback Jalen Hurts. Miles has accounted for 757 yards and six touchdowns. Jalen Hurts, 438 yards and eight touchdowns. Strangely, Hurts only has 3.9 yards per attempt, but um, he has 82 attempts. Some of those obviously are scrambles. Um, Actually, in terms of yards, it's about 50-50. But um, again, more touchdowns accounted for by uh, Jalen Hurts than Miles Sanders. The the big thing to keep in mind, though, Jalen Hurts, eight fumbles so far, nearly won a game. So that'll be something to keep an eye on, especially for the Green Bay Packers. If you see him take off and run, which is going to happen, start swinging at the football. And, and the good thing about this is, talk about some of the issues moving forward. Um, he had, let's see, three fumbles through week eight. Two fumbles week nine, three this past week against Indy. So he's had five the last three weeks. I think the benefit there is turnovers have been kind of their downfall. And if teams are starting to realize that this is a weakness, the Eagles are going to be maybe a little bit more interested in pulling back on this. And if you pull back on the quarterback rushing attack, you change the entire dynamic of the offense. So you can continue doing what you're doing and try to get Jalen to, to protect the football a little more. Or, again, dial back what's helping your team be what it is. But either way, they're running into a bit of a problem here. Because, again, the, the, the single biggest issue with the team over the last three weeks in which they've struggled is turnovers. Uh, Miles Sanders, pretty consistent, steady Eddie guy. Not Again, not elite, just good. 60s and 70s every single week as far as his overall and rushing grade. Doesn't really fumble the ball. He doesn't have a single fumble this season. Doesn't have a lot of touchdowns. Doesn't have a ton of yards. He has one game of, a, of 100 yards or more. Um, but that's about it. Looking at the offensive line, left tackle Jordan Mailata. He's real good, but he's also real inconsistent. 2018 seventh round pick. Um, he's got a 71 overall run blocking grade, but it's comprised of three really good games and the rest of them being pretty garbage. The same is kind of true with his pass blocking. Usually he's real good, but he's got some real dogs in there. So good, but inconsistent. Left guard Landon Dickerson, more of a pass blocker than a run blocker. But um, again, somewhat inconsistent. He's got a couple really, really bad games in there. 35 pass blocking grade week three, 44 week 10. But other than that, for the most part, like high 80s. So dominant pass blocker. And a big dude, 6'6", 332 pounds. Center, obviously, is Jason Kelsey. That guy hasn't lost a step. I think he's like 72 years old, but um, he's he's just solid at everything. Right guard, they've got Isaac Suamelo. Suamelo? Suamelo? I don't know. Another guy that's just pretty solid. Again, has a couple, as a pass blocker, a couple bad games mixed in. 
but usually good to to adequate. And then at right tackle, Lane Johnson, another uh, mainstay there, uh, going on 33 years old. But the guy doesn't have bad days. He just has good days and great days. He's given up seven pressures the entire season. Not one sack, not one hit. Seven pressures, all of them were just hurries. Um, he didn't give up a single one this past week. In fact, only one, two, three, four games the entire season he's given up a single pressure. So, again, solid offensive line. And remember, this is the weakness. <laughs> the offense is the part that's struggling. The strength of the team is the defense. And uh, believe it or not, Brandon Graham, who has been with the team since 2010, he was there <laughs> the year the Packers won the Super Bowl. Uh, Brandon Graham, who is going on 35 years old, is their highest graded defender. He's still having a great career. 25 pressures on just 166 attempts, which is pretty remarkable to me. Um, he is their top graded player, but he's certainly not alone. There are um, 12-ish different players with 70 overall grades, including, yes, Linval Joseph, who was the, he's currently the second highest graded player, but only played one game. Um, but there's also Josh Sweat off the other side. You've got TJ Edwards, the linebacker. You've got Javon Hargrave, the defensive tackle. Jordan Davis, the defensive tackle. Hassan Reddick, edge rusher. And Dominican Sue in his one game had a 78 overall grade. Darius Slay, the cornerback, still playing at a high level. Uh, James Bradbury, the corner, with a 71 overall grade. Safety Marcus Epps with a 70 overall grade. Cornerback Avanti Maddox with a 69, basically 70 overall grade. By the way, the uh, Avanti Maddox, Marcus Epps, and James Bradbury, and Darius Slay, uh, their coverage grades are all real solid. A lot of them are only not quite in the 70s because they have like 30s, 40s, and 20s with their run defense and tackling grades. Javon Hargrave and Hassan Reddick both have seven sacks on the season. In terms of pressures, Javon Hargrave, 37 pressures on 283 attempts. Hassan Reddick, 31 on 255. Josh Sweat, 30 on 244. I mentioned Graham, 25 on 166. Fletcher Cox, 20 on, uh, well, Fletcher's not, he's, he's, he's struggling a little bit. Uh, TJ Edwards, I told you about linebackers and their pressures. He has 11 pressures on 23 attempts, so he's, he's at 50%. But the point is, they have multiple, multiple, multiple. You got four guys, plus TJ Edwards, not used a lot, but four guys along that front with well over 10% pressure rates. And that's with Jordan Davis, the rookie on the inside, who has a 77 run defense grade. Linval Joseph had a pressure on eight attempts, so he's above 10%. And Dominican Sue had two pressures on seven attempts. So the defensive line as I've said, has been the identity of this team for a long time and I think continues to be. They have 11 different players that have had sacks, including Linval Joseph and Dominican Sue. But all that comes with the addition of Darius Slade, James Branberry, and Avanti Maddox, all with, those are the three corners, with 70 or higher overall coverage grades. Three. Three corners. We'll be lucky to have one. Most teams are lucky to have one. Looking at some of the statistics, um... Interceptions, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, six interceptions on the season. James Bradbury with three, Darius Slay with three, and Avanti Maddox has one. This is one of the best teams, if not the best teams, uh, the best team in turnovers in the NFL. So again, when I talk about the Packers beating the Eagles, there's a slim margin here. There, there's a little gate, little tiny opening in the door that we have to get through. And that opening is... We have to be able to run the ball against this defense. And that's not going to be super easy, even though that is technically somehow their weakness, or at least was. Again, not sure exactly how much they fixed that issue with the two additions. But that still doesn't address this defense. The point is, even if we're able to get what we want, and let's say the, the run defense is still something that we can work with, um, they still have pass rush they still have guys that can cover and of course they still have an offense so again I, I I feel more confident about this game than I did about the Titans game just because the matchup is technically there but you still have to be a good team you still have to be a competent you know team that's here's here's a problem you probably are going to have to play four quarters 
that could be an issue. But anyways, um, again, that that's just sort of a uh, an overview of the Tennessee Titans. Um, it's a good football team. I don't know what else to say. Uh, why don't we take a break? We'll come back and uh, look at some more stuff. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. All right, let's look at a couple things here. First of all, Packers injury report. This one's a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> this thing is so crazy. Uh, here, let me just read everybody that's on it. Obviously, some of these guys are are nothing, and they're going to play. But it's just, it's funny. It's not funny. It's crazy how long the list is. Jair, Bakhtiari, Chris Barnes, Devondre Campbell, Tariq Carpenter, Randall Cobb, Mason Crosby, Romeo Dobbs, Rudy Ford, Shamar Jean, Charles Elton Jenkins, Aaron Jones, Alan Lazard, Aaron Rodgers, Quay Walker, Rashid Walker, Robert Tunyon, and Mercedes Lewis. Uh, for the Eagles, that actually did uh, grow quite a bit, but almost all of these are rest. If we don't include the veteran rest guys, because, you know, uh, it's useless. Josh Joby, A.J. Brown. Uh, that was illness. I'm guessing he'll be okay. And Devonta Smith was limited with a knee injury. The the only guy that did not participate in practice was AJ Brown because he's sick. So the team is basically entirely healthy. Um, going back to the Packers though, the uh, ones to keep an eye on, I guess. Devondre Campbell didn't practice. I keep saying I know he's not going to play because he's got that, but I don't really know his status. How long he's supposed to be out? But Presumably, he's not coming back this week. Romeo, uh, again, didn't practice. I also don't have any update on Romeo Dobbs in terms of when he's expected to come back. Um, I know we are getting close to a time when, you know, if if he was going to come back as soon as is possible on his timeline, it's getting close. But I don't know. I don't know if it's going to be the soonest possible or maybe it'll be a little longer. I'm not entirely positive. Rashid Walker uh, hasn't practiced all week with an illness. Everybody's getting sick. Robert Tunyon illness is just flooding through the the locker room. And then the only other guy that didn't participate was Mercedes Lewis. A lot of other limiteds. Um, I won't go through the full participants like Aaron Rodgers and Quay Walker. But Lazard with a shoulder injury. Aaron Jones' shin and glute injury was limited. Uh, Elton Jenkins actually didn't participate on Wednesday, but was limited uh, Thursday, which is a great sign. Um, Shamar Jean Charles with an ankle injury. Uh, Randall Cobb with his... Uh, oh, he, he hasn't... There's a lot of illness. Mason, Randall, Tariq, Robert Tunyon, Rashid Walker, all illness. It's weird. Uh, and then David Bakhtiari didn't practice on Wednesday, limited on Thursday. This is seemingly becoming a normal thing for Bakhtiari. They're just giving him extra rest because I keep panicking every week, like, oh, man, I hope I hope this isn't like a thing. And he always comes back. It also could just be soreness, which is a bad thing, but I don't know. Um, the big news of the day, couple days, whatever, is uh, Justin Hollins was brought in. There's been a lot of hoopla about Justin Hollins, pass rusher. 
him coming in, filling in for Rashawn, going to change everything. Check out this one sack he got. It's so crazy. So let's do a quick recap of Mr. Justin Hollins. He's been in the league for four years, um, started off with Denver, then spent the last three years in L.A. That is to say he was a fifth-round pick that lasted one year in Denver before being <laughs> let go. But six foot five, two forty eight, a little bit of a smaller stature fella. Grades over four years, 55, 67, 64, and 53 this past year. Pressures, um, year one, 10 pressures on 137 attempts. That's less than 10%. 14 on 164 attempts. That's less than 10%. Five pressures on 142 attempts, which is like real bad. And then this past year, six pressures on 144 attempts, which again is brutally awful. Over the last two years, he's averaging 3.8%. Three pressures for every 100 attempts. We'll call it four. We'll round up. Now, he has three sacks. He has a high sack rate, but it doesn't really mean anything when you have a high sack rate that accounts for one sack on the season. So needless to say, this is one of the worst pressure rates I've ever seen in my life for a pass rusher. It does get better if you look at true pass sets, but it goes up to 5.5%, which, hey, that's almost double, but it's it's still ridiculously garbage. Um, and the Rams in general just suck so bad off the edge. Not a single pass rusher is at 10%. Uh, Leonard Floyd is their best pass rusher right now at 13.5%. Justin Hollins is number two at 9.4%. His win rate is sub 10%. That's just how often you beat the guy across from you. That's so so there's that should be higher than well it it, it will be higher than your pressure rate which should be above 10% by itself. Now, that isn't to say that Justin Hollins couldn't be like a few other guys that have come here that have been terrible other places and suddenly thrive here in Green Bay. But that is to say that this is one of the worst pass rushers I've ever looked at in my life. This feels very similar to what I was saying about Geronimo Allison <laughs> as far as um, Gutekunst doing something without actually doing anything. Um, now, granted, I don't think there's a lot of real, honest options available. There aren't a lot of great pass rushers out there, but I'm positive. I'm positive there are better pass rushers than this. Anyways, here is uh, Matt LaFleur during his press conference, kind of talking about the illness issue. question basically was, you got a lot of guys sick. Are you worried that it's going to spread? Yeah, I mean, it, it is very similar to, I would say, we had this happen in 2019, um, where it seemed like everybody was getting sick. And But I think our, our medical staff's doing a good job of, of staying on top of these guys. And if guys have that we've been testing them for everything um and if they get the flu then we're keeping them out so the answer is yes they're worried about it spreading um and they're also choosing not to let sick people participate so that it doesn't spread which means as it spreads less and less people are practicing for the Philadelphia Eagles game so that's great um the a couple questions later and and this has been going on constantly Rodgers has been battered bad battered badgered i guess they both work Badgered and battered about his thumb over and over and over again, asking him about it. He gives the same answer every time. But they asked Matt LaFleur, and he gives a very obvious answer. The question is, was there any thought to sitting Rodgers because his thumb is broken? No, I mean, Aaron's uh, one of the toughest guys I've ever been around in terms of just being able to battle through multiple um, injuries. So... Uh, that that never crossed my mind. It, it's more or less the conversation in terms of he's how he communicates with us and where he's at. And certainly, um, I know he told you guys he's, he's played through a lot worse. So, um, yeah, no, he's just a he's he's old school tough. So the bottom line is they can't really bench Rodgers even if they wanted to. It's not really a thing that they can do. Um, and the reason I say that is because when Rodgers made the decision that he's going to tough this out and he's going to play, benching him is sending him a message. Now, I, again, as I said, you can try to tell him, 
hey, uh, you know, we just want to make sure you're okay for next year or whatever. But I don't, I don't think he's going to buy that. I think what you're doing is sending him a message that we want to move on and we need to know if, if Jordan Love is the answer. Um, and remember, this whole thing with the contract was about Rodgers wanting security, wanting the Packers to prove to him that they're not trying to push him out the door. If they bench him so that they can see Jordan Love, they're doing it again. And I just don't think the Packers want to do that. Now, if they think they do, then that would be a great thing to do. You know, bench him and then, oh, gee, are you upset? That stinks. I hope you don't retire. But no, I, uh, I, don't, I don't think that's a thing that they can do. The, the only thing they'll probably want to do is have a sit down with Rodgers once we are officially eliminated, assuming that happens, which I do. I mean, I don't. I said I wouldn't do that. You have a sit down with them and like, look, you got a busted up thumb. We're eliminated. If you want to keep playing, you can. But my concern is your health for the future. Why don't we get it checked out, see if you need any kind of work, any kind of surgery or anything like that. And then I'll, I'll leave it up to you. And, and we will say it's our decision. You don't have to say it was yours or anything like that. We will say we decided to shut you down and we'll leave it at that. That's the best you can do and hope that Rogers says, yeah, let's just shut it down. But I don't think he's going to do that. He doesn't want Jordan Love to, to take over his job for him. Because the, the, the perception is going to be obvious. The, the, the season is over. Aaron Rodgers wasn't able to bring this team to where it needed to be. So they're shutting him down to see Jordan Love. I mean, regardless of what the Packers tell him. So I just don't think there's going to be an outcome that they're going to be able to do that. Now, again, if they do, then nothing I'm saying changes other than, oh, snap, how did we get here? Did they just come to him and say, we're shutting you down? In which case, we got to wonder about how Rodgers feels about that, why they did that, knowing he was going to feel that way. But I don't think that's going to happen. And either way, Matt LaFleur is not going to stand up here and go, yeah, we, we've been talking about shutting him down, been trying to get him off the field, but he doesn't seem to want to, and so we're going to let him battle through, but kind of want him out of here. You know, We're not going to get anywhere with this, I guess is my point. I understand it's an important piece of the puzzle. And the media members understand it's an important piece, but I think they need to do a better job of understanding that there's nothing here. You're running into a brick wall. Keep asking the same questions over and over and over again, expecting to get a different answer or some kind of a big scoop. There's nothing here. His thumb is broken. He's going to keep playing through it. He's telling you it's not affecting his accuracy. Is he lying? Yes, he is. He's lying. But that's his answer, and he's not going to change it. So his thumb's broken, he's had worse, it's not really affecting it, maybe a little bit as far as his grip, but it's not really affecting his game, which again, he's, he's going to say that, because if it is affecting his game, then you ask the question of what about Jordan Love, but if it's not affecting his game, then you're, then you're not supposed to ask that question, it doesn't really make a difference, I mean, inaccuracy is inaccuracy, and you get benched either way, it's just, this is just the reason why, but anyways, the point is, they need to let it go. Because it's just constant, and it's becoming annoying and obnoxious at this point. Here they are asking Matt LaFleur if he's willing to call out Aaron Rodgers as a liar. <laughs> Aaron Rodgers says that it wasn't affecting his accuracy. This reminds me of my kids when they're like, Dad, so-and-so said this. They go to Matt LaFleur, Matt, Aaron Rodgers says it's not affecting his accuracy. He's lying. but they're try- We know he's lying. But again, they, they got to get the scoop. They got to get the coach to say it. So they asked Matt LaFleur, hey, um, you know, we know it's probably the competitor. That's just, and he's even like goading him into saying it. Like, you know, I mean, it's just the competitor. Like he's such a hardcore, like straight up dude. You know, he's a bro, man. You know, he's, he's tough and he's hard. But I mean, we kind of know, right? So what do you think? Is it affecting his accuracy? I mean, that's tough for me to say because I really don't know how it feels. I, I do know that it is definitely more difficult and challenging when you're a quarterback or and you have something wrong with your hand. It can create some, some obstacles, but he's, you know, seemed to maneuver around it for the most part pretty well. So again, he won't answer it. He's kind of answering it. I mean, it's basically a wink, wink, nod, nod. Yes, but I'm not going to say it. That's basically what that was. But... He's not going to say it, period. They, I mean, they, they did ask him, like, did you change anything? And the only thing was less stuff under center, especially in practice. They're not doing that. And I'm not going to play it because, again, it just gets repetitive and obnoxious. But the, the follow-up question. So we've had three, maybe four questions in a row about Rodgers and his thumb trying to get Matt LaFleur to say that it's affecting his game. 
The follow-up question, I think it was by Huber, and he says, well, I would assume, you know, it affects how you throw a football, like, because your thumb's jacked up. Right. You were a quarter. Not, now they're like puffing up Matt LaFleur, calling him a Hall of Fame quarterback. Like, you you know, man, you were like a great quarterback. Uh, you, you know, how is it? How you, it's got to affect how you throw a football, right? Uh, I think it potentially could be. I, I don't know. I can't get inside his body and tell you exactly how it feels. But yeah, I think it potentially could be a big deal. But um, like I said, he's as tough as they come and he's, he's going to fight through it. He's not going to answer you. And what do you want him to say? You know, I mean, this is, again, where once in a while you get to a point where it's it's like you have to be smart enough to recognize, unless you're just really trying to get him to slip up and say something stupid. But you have to be willing to recognize he can't say, yes, Rodgers is lying. This is clearly affecting his accuracy. We've seen it on film, and we're considering benching him. Because those have been the questions. Do you think he's going to say that? Of course, he's not going to say that. Take a guess what the next question was. Hey, he's missing a lot of short throws. You think that's his thumb? First of all, Aaron Rodgers has missed short throws plenty in his career. There have been seasons, I don't I want to say like 2019, where he routinely missed short passes like wide receiver screens. And it was mind-boggling to me. The amount of times that the ball literally bounced off the ground. I'm not saying that the thumb isn't affecting that. I'm, I'm just saying... It's untrue to say, hey, he's automatic with these short passes, and now he's missing them. What's up with that? I don't think that that's true, and I don't even think he's missing that many behind the line of scrimmage. Not at a much higher rate than I've seen throughout his career. Anyways, last thing I wanted to play, um, this clip here. I thought it was kind of interesting. The question is, what do you know about Justin Holland, the new guy that we picked up? Not a lot. I know we've, we've played him before in the past. I know Joe Barry obviously is... Very, very familiar with him. Um, I know he's a, a big guy that runs really well. So I, I can't wait to meet him. I haven't met him yet. The interesting thing to me here is always how segregated everything is. I always assume, wrongly obviously, that everybody's kind of intimately intertwined with everybody else's job. You know, his familiarity with this new guy coming on to his team as the head coach of the team, I would have thought he knows a lot about this player because he's done a lot of work. I mean, I, it's primarily Brian Gutekunst's job. I get that. But the input you would think you would need from Matt LaFleur would be massive. Now, maybe you don't want to put that extra work on him when he's trying to get ready for the upcoming game to say, hey, I, I need to know what you think. It just seems like... It's the same thing with like the injuries. Like, what's going? On? Well, I don't know. We'll find out when we get out there. Like, I, 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 the medical staff just completely takes care of that. Like, who? In, in other words, Matt Lafleur seems to be like just the coach. In other words, you don't need to worry about who's out there with you. You'll find out, you as the head coach will find out when you get out there who's available to you. You come up with a game plan and then put these guys in in the best position to win. It just gives me a much lower opinion of the head coach than what I used to think. It's sort of like the GM is the one that runs the team, which I know that that's essentially the case, but the GM is like the... the, the it's not like the, the coach and GM are kind of on similar tiers, just on, on different positions. The GM is way ahead of, of where the coach is and is much more important. It's his team. He decides who's in, who's out, who plays. You just kind of call plays and do your little thing down there. It's just weird to me. I mean, a borderline disrespectful to just throw a player in and be like, "Here, I got this guy for you." Like, what? What? Who? Who is? Who is this? What's going on? Yeah, I talked to Joe. Joe said he's good, so we we decided to bring him in. You, you and you and Joe talked about bringing somebody in. You and my defensive coordinator had a conversation, and without my knowledge, and brought him in. I'm sure there was a conversation. I'm, I'm just giving an illustration of how weird this seems to me. Like poor little Matt. <laughs> Nobody tells him anything. Nobody invites him to their birthday. What do you think of the new pass rusher that came in? I, I have no idea. I've never heard his name before. He showed up today, and I, uh, or, or I was told he's showing up today. Gutekunst called me in my office and said, hey, uh, new guy's coming, and hung up the phone. Called him back, and he was very upset with me because I'm not supposed to talk to him. But he said he got me a pass rusher, and uh, Joe, Joe, and he worked it out, and everything's going to be fine. I'm actually not supposed to talk to him either, but I, I want to at least shake his hand. 
I don't know. The whole thing's weird. Final thing I wanted to mention, um, Matt Schneidman, you did an article for The Athletic, but um, I didn't read it. Uh, the point is, with that article, he wrote this on Twitter. The Packers had four wins entering Week 12 in 2016. They won out starting with a prime time in Philly. With prime time in Philly. They have four wins entering Week 12 in 2022, again visiting Philly in prime time. Broken thumb and all, Aaron Rodgers thinks the Packers can win out again. Um, and I had seen that tweet because Bruce Irons on Twitter put, sadly, I think the similarities for the Packers story ends with this headline. Let me uh, maybe give you a slight, slight glimmer of hope. Um, 2016 Packers were bad. 2016 Packers were injured. And the 2016 Packers did start a, a, a win, winning things out in prime time against Philly. All of those things are true. Just looking at a couple of the different injuries, Jared Aberderis um, was on IR. Kennard Backman, IR. Chris Banjo toward the end of the season, the last three games, IR. Um, there's a ton of players, but I'm just trying to go with players that I think played. Uh, Dimitri Goodson was out the entire season, starting uh, with Philly. He was put on IR that, that week. Maybe he was the curse. He was in the entire season um, and then got hurt in, uh, against Washington. Uh, Eddie Lacy was on IR the entire season with the except uh, starting, I don't know, week five or something. So he lost Eddie Lacy that year. Sam Shields was on IR that year. And JC Treader was on IR. Th- those are some major pieces. Sam Shields, JC Treader, uh, Corey Lindsley came back from IR. Eddie Lacy, that's pretty big. And then you got a few other people battling through injuries. Demarius Randall. Starks. Actually, Starks was out. Um, I forgot he was even on the team back then. He was out uh, starting three three weeks after Philly, so the last one, two, three, four, five games he was out. If you look at point differentials since 2016, um, 2022 is by far the worst in terms of point differential at negative 41, but the second worst was 2016 with a negative 29. And the thing I think that shocked me the most was uh, DVOA, which I fully expected 2016 to be significantly better. The Green Bay Packers right now rank, why, aren't, why don't you give me numbers? I got to count it. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 14th in DVOA. I don't even know how that's possible, but the Packers rank 14th with actually a positive, they have the lowest positive DVOA. They are 1.7% better than the average team. Again, this has to come back to every other team just being complete garbage, but the point is it doesn't matter. Even if you say, yeah, well, the 2016 team was better than this team, so it doesn't... We're not playing the 2016 NFL. We're playing the 2022 NFL. But we are, again, what did I say, 14th? Oh, it is numbered. You're an idiot. 14th with a 1.7 DVOA in 2011. The Green Bay Packers ranked 21st with a negative 5.5% DVOA, which is to say they're 5.5% worse than the average team. So again, 2016 had four, they had four wins at this point, prime time against Philly. Now to be clear, Philadelphia was straight trash <laughs> that year. They were not a good football team. Uh, when they faced us, they were, uh, what, five and five? But just a glimmer of hope there. Remember, Philadelphia's kind of on the downswing a little bit, and uh, win is possible. But it's it's not entirely dissimilar. I, I don't want people to think that the 2016 team was a, was a good team that just happened to have a bad record. They were not. They were a bad football team. Um, by just about every metric, they were a bad football team. The uh, Packers, they barely beat the Jaguars week one, lost to the Vikings, uh, beat the Lions, then had a very early bye week. Then they beat the Giants, who were terrible, um, lost to beat the Bears, because obviously, and then went on a four-game losing streak to the Falcons, 33-32, Colts, 31-26, Titans, 47-25, and then Washington 42-24. Two, two weeks in a row, 47-25 and 42-24. That is brutal. And that's, that's when they started their win streak, right? Which 
again, very, very interesting the amount of similarities. We just got blown out by Tennessee. Then we go to, I mean, it's two weeks. There, Washington was in between, but still, you just get blown out by Tennessee. Then you start your run, Philadelphia in prime time. So, I mean, it's there, man. Just got to believe. Just got to believe. Remember, it was after that Philly game, too. He, he essentially, in that Philly game, he said something clicked. And he, and it was based on that that he said the run the table comments. I, I believe that we can run the table. Again, the larger issue, in my opinion, is the uh, the defense. But hey, why? Let, let's get back to the uh, the old Packers that are just like, who cares about defense? Let's just dominate on offense. Down the stretch, they, they scored 27 against Philly. They did get a little help against Houston, 21-13. But then scored 38, 30, 38, 31, 38, 34, before finally losing the Falcons when they scored 21. Let's just get that that offense revved up. Just a thought. I don't know. Anyways, I'm going to leave it at that. You guys have yourselves a fantastic day. I hope you had a great holiday. Sorry for the late podcast. It is what it is. Tried to get it done yesterday. Couldn't. Pushing too many buttons. <laughs> I'm literally trying. I push stop and I'm like trying to put in the outro music and it's like, I'm still talking. What are you doing? I just got put on autopilot mode. Like, all right, we're done. Upload it quick. I'm done. Have a great day. Talk to you tomorrow. Bye-bye.